Well, welcome everyone. It's the Texas Values Radio Show. We don't make the rules, we just report the truth. We're happy that you've joined us today. I'm Jonathan Covey. I'm the Policy Director for Texas Values, filling in for Jonathan Signs this week on the Texas Values Report. Uh, we have a very interesting show lined up for you today with a very special guest. But before I get to him, just as a reminder, you can catch us uh, on this station, KTXW, 1120 The Bridge, or you can watch us on demand on Facebook, on Spotify, on YouTube, on all your favorite uh, live streaming platforms. Also, if you just got to find out more about anything that we've talked about today, you can find tons of great information on our website at txvalues.org. And you can stay up with breaking news and information if you want to uh, join our texting alerts. You can text seven nine seven text TX values to 797979. Our guest today is Senior Counsel for Alliance Defending Freedom and Director for their Center for Legislative Advocacy, Matt Sharp. Matt, welcome to the program. Hey, thanks for having me on. Well, um, you know, I, I want listeners to get a, a little bit of a chance to uh, to know you a little bit better. Uh, you work for ADF and, and what you do for them. So give us a little bit of background about your role, what you do for them, and what Alliance Defending Freedom does as an organization. Yeah, so Alliance Defending Freedom, we're a nonprofit legal organization that stands for free speech, religious liberty, uh, marriage and family and life. And we do that through litigation, taking on cases, uh, sometimes all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court, where we are standing for these freedoms. And we also do it on the legislative side, where we get to partner with great organizations like Texas Values to help enact legislation at the state and at the federal level to protect these freedoms. Uh, so I've been with ADF for over 13 years now. I started off doing litigation, working with kids that were wanting to share their faith at school or start a Bible club. And then over the years, had some opportunities to get involved in legislation, uh, responding to lawmakers' questions on how we can protect students' free speech rights. Uh, and then over the years, was able to transition more and more to doing legislative work full time, where I get to take that legal experience I developed and help it to craft legislation and to advise policy allies and others on legally sound bills that we think are uh, good policy, but also something that if it goes to the Supreme Court, will be upheld there. Well, we we know that Alliance Defending Freedom does great work, and we're so appreciative for you and all the folks up there uh, that do great work for protecting our freedoms. And you mentioned freedom of speech, and so uh, speaking of speaking of that, you know, ADF <laughs> saw just a, a fantastic case surrounding public accommodation laws, uh, freedom of speech, come out from the Supreme Court and written by Justice Gorsuch. Tell our listeners a little bit about that recent case, some background on, on that story and how it came to end up at the Supreme Court. Yeah, so Lori Smith is the owner of a website design, graphic design company called 303 Creative that's based in Colorado. And Lori has a passion to be able to design websites to uh, celebrate marriage, uh, allow couples to talk about their love for one another and the importance of marriage to them. However, because she's in Colorado, Colorado has one of these public accommodation, sexual orientation, gender identity laws that has been used, for example, against Jack Phillips, the Colorado baker, to tell him that he would have to design custom wedding cakes to celebrate same-sex marriage. So when Lori decided to do this website design company, she knew that just like Jack was uh, prosecuted under this law, that she was at the risk of doing so as well. So rather than sit back and wait to be dragged into court, she proactively challenged this law. And as the case was moving its way through the courts, 
uh, Colorado was taking the position that it can force Lori to speak messages, to create custom websites that violate her beliefs about marriage. And she unfortunately lost all along the way, including at the 10th Circuit Court of Appeals, which held that while what Laurie does is protected by the First Amendment, Colorado's sexual orientation gender identity law overrides her constitutional protections. So when we took this case to the Supreme Court, we were really optimistic that the court would not only correct the grave error of the lower court's ruling, uh, this idea that a state public accommodations law overrides our constitutional freedoms, but would do a really strong opinion that would protect every American's freedom of speech. And that's exactly what we got in a 6-3 majority from uh, Justice Gorsuch. The court held very strongly that when these public accommodation laws, when these state laws collide with the Constitution, the Constitution must prevail and ensure that no government can ever come along and compel any of us, uh, whether we're in Colorado or any other state, to speak a message that we disagree with. So we were very encouraged to see this strong ruling for free speech from the court. This seems like something that you and I and 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 folks that normal folks that are just listening would be like, well, of course, this makes sense. Um, how did all of these courts leading up to the U.S. Supreme Court's decision miss this? Yeah, I think they are devaluing the First Amendment. They're devaluing what it means to tell any American, whether it's Lori or Jack or anyone else, that they must speak a message that they disagree with. And so what we saw is these courts elevating the sexual orientation gender identity laws above the Constitution, getting it exactly backwards. Uh, we know in our system of government that the Constitution is the supreme law of the land. And so what we saw from the court was a correction of this. Uh, time and time again, the court kept going back to sort of first principles, that this is speech. There's no question about that. Even Colorado admitted that what Lori does is speech. And our laws and constitution have long protected a variety of speech. And so it was simply correcting that and putting the constitution back where it belongs. And I think one of the important things the court highlighted was this isn't just about Lori or her particular views. Um, even if you disagree with Lori's views, you ought to be celebrating this because it also protects the LGBT website designer that wouldn't want to do a website disparaging same-sex marriage or a Muslim graphic artist who didn't want to do designs for Judaism or Christianity. So it's a ruling that truly does apply no matter what you believe about marriage or any other issue. You know that under this decision, you're protected from the government telling you you must speak a message as a condition to open opening up your business. I mean, this is a win for everyone. This is not just, doesn't just apply to one side or the other. This is a win for all Americans. What, um, let's talk a little bit about this, this Colorado statute, because you mentioned this and the masterpiece uh, uh, case as well, yeah. but it's sort of the, the impetus for restricting uh, freedom of speech in Lori's case, and it's been the root problem for for legal contests that you you guys have been involved in for a while as well. I mean, uh, why does the state of Colorado keep bringing this up, and and how are we gonna how are we gonna deal with this problem? Yeah, it has been frustrating. You especially look at Jack Phillips. He won his original case because the Supreme Court found that Colorado acted with animosity towards Jack, comparing his religious beliefs about marriage to being no different from those of Nazis or, or those that were pushing the Holocaust. And so he got that win, but then immediately was turned around and sued again for not creating a cake 
to celebrate a gender transition, again, because Jack believes we're created male and female. And so we see time and time again how these laws, not just in Colorado, but we've got cases in New York, Kentucky, and other states, sometimes even including fines and jail time, trying to force photographers, graphic artists, uh, t-shirt designers to speak messages, to celebrate causes and events and ideas that they disagree with. So to see this victory against Colorado's law, recognizing that its law must give way to the Constitution, we think is going to be really helpful in these other cases and even in, in states. I mean, there's a few cities in Texas that have adopted some of these laws. And so to know that in Texas, Texans never have to worry about the same types of laws being misused against them to force them to celebrate or speak messages that violate their beliefs. How do you see this playing out in legal challenges going forward? Yeah, I think we're going to hopefully see few of these efforts to take these public accommodation SOGI laws and apply them against speech. Hopefully this will be a little bit of a restraint against these government officials from misusing them. But when those cases do pop up, I think we're now going to have a great new tool in our arsenal to be able to immediately, hopefully get these cases dismissed and get strong rulings reaffirming that the constitution protects any of us from being coerced or compelled to speak something we disagree with. Well, I think this is a great decision, and uh, you guys did great. Kristen Wagner did a great job uh, representing at the Supreme Court. Um, so I want to I want to switch gears just a little bit. Obviously, you know, you and I have talked about the issue of protecting children from gender transition surgeries and procedures for a long time. And Texas Values led the effort to pass uh, Senate Bill 14, which is the the child gender modification uh, ban, at least here in Texas. Um, this was kind of here in Texas, this was kind of the Gettysburg for uh, LGBT advocates. They tried everything to stop this, uh, but the science was on our side and the governor recently signed SB 14 into law. So, um, you know, I think I think this is something that, uh, you know, we're seeing victory in a number of ways. Uh, tell us a little bit about what you've seen across the nation as you guys have worked on some of this. Yeah. Well, first off, I do want to applaud you guys. You were very early on taking leadership on this issue and standing for the simple principle that kids should not be vulnerable kids. Innocent kids should not be put on these dangerous hormones and puberty blockers and surgeries that do irreversible damage. And I think it was so incredible to see Texas really taking a leadership role that inspired other states to do it. And so what we've now seen is 20 states have enacted laws to protect children in these states from these dangerous procedures, from these experimental drugs and surgeries that damage them, that can leave them sterile for life, unable to have a family, that can impair brain development so that they're being deprived of the, the very process going through puberty that shapes us into who we are. And we've been encouraged to see how more and more doctors, uh, even some that are in this field of medicine, are beginning to speak out as well. They've been emboldened by efforts like Texas Values did to say, we need to stand up for kids. We in the medical profession need to raise the alarm about the damage this is doing. And the motivating factor in all of this is that there are better options um, for kids dealing with gender confusion. There's counseling. Uh, there's dealing with some of the other mental health challenges they may be experiencing. There's less invasive, dangerous things that we can do to help these kids rather than putting them on the hormones, rather than the surgeries or the puberty blockers that do this irreversible damage to them. So I think this has been a great movement. And again, appreciate you guys at Texas Values for being the leaders in this, not just in Texas, but helping really mobilize a movement nationwide. Well, we appreciate that. And we had some great support 
Um, and I wanted to follow up on your on your comment on the on medical doctors starting to realize this too. I know uh, Europe has been ahead of us in a lot of ways on this, realizing that this was a danger, that puberty blockers and cross-sex hormones are irreversible and harmful. Um, do you see the American medical community starting to change any or come around on this issue? I'm hoping so. In fact, there was just within the past few weeks, some members of the Endocrine Society, one of the medical groups that's been on the wrong side of this issue that has been pushing these dangerous procedures on kids, but members of the endocrine society starting to speak out, write op-eds to say, look, just because the organization supports this doesn't mean that they are reflecting the views of the members. And that's a narrative we've seen time and time again, is that you have these very politicized national medical organizations here in the United States that are pushing one thing and their members are saying, whoa, 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 let's take a step back because they're looking at the same science that Europe is looking at. And these are countries in Europe that have been doing many of these procedures for years. And what they're finding is once they follow those children into adulthood, they're not having better mental health outcomes. In fact, in Sweden, the individuals that went through these procedures ultimately had surgeries. Once they reached adulthood, they had 19 times higher rates of suicide than the rest of the population, 19 times higher. So if you're trying to help children deal with this, why are we putting them on a path that's going to lead to higher suicides? We need to be finding better solutions for our kids that truly help them come to grips with that they weren't born in the wrong body, that there are better, healthier options for them than these drugs and these surgeries that don't have those outcomes. So I am encouraged to see in the States more and more medical professionals speaking out and saying, let's learn from your mistakes, let's follow the science and find better solutions for our kids. How do you, how do you handle that argument when, you, when the other side claims that you're forcing kids into suicide by not allowing them to transition? How does that, we've heard testimony on that before during when Senate Bill 14 was up on the floor in the Senate and in the House. How do you handle that type of argument? Yeah, I think we call it out as being an outright lie. When you look at actual the studies, when you see how they followed kids and adolescents and others that have gone through this, the drugs and surgeries do not decrease suicide. In fact, as we saw that Sweden study, that those that went through this actually had higher rates of suicide. So I think we need to call it out to say the very things that you're pushing, these drugs, hormones, and surgeries are actually damaging kids, are actually putting them on this one-way path to worse mental health outcomes, including potentially higher rates of suicide. We contrast that with studies showing that when we prioritize the mental health counseling, when we help deal with some of the coexisting mental health issues, the depression, the anxiety, sometimes kids also are on the um, autism spectrum. When we treat some of those things, we actually see improvements in mental health outcome. So our side truly does have the best interest in kids of mind of trying to say, let's find a solution that deals with the mental health issues that they're going with and avoids the irreversible surgeries and hormones that can do damage to them and that can put them on that path towards these higher rates of suicide into adulthood. We're, uh, if you're just joining us, we're talking with Matt Sharp, the Senior Counsel for Alliance Defending Freedom and uh, Director for the Center for Legislative Advocacy. Just as a reminder, if you find value in the work that we're doing, uh, consider going to Texas Values, txvalues.org and making a donation. None of the work we do really is possible without you uh, donating and helping us continue to hire quality people, do quality work, uh, including this radio show. Uh, so none of it's possible without you. 
as our supporters going forward. Um, Matt, what does the legal landscape you think look like going forward for for the gender transition issue? And uh, are these laws being challenged? If so, what, have the challenges been successful? Yeah, several of these 20 states that have passed these laws have had legal challenges, uh, groups like the ACLU and others that are immediately filing lawsuits over this. And they've been trumpeting some early wins that they've gotten, uh, particularly in states like Arkansas and Alabama and a few others that were the first states to pass these laws. But I think a couple of things we need to remember. Number one, this is still very early in the process. We've seen time and time again in other issues where lower courts will roll one way, but then as the cases go up on appeal, uh, sometimes all the way to the Supreme Court, the court steps in to reverse that. You know, we were just talking about the 303 creative case is a great example. We lost that case every step along the way, but then the Supreme Court properly stepped in and corrected the grave errors of the lower courts in ignoring our constitutional freedoms. So I think we're going to see a similar thing play out here. But second, I always like to go back to, there was a case about 100 years ago called Buck versus Bell, where the U.S. Supreme Court actually upheld the forced sterilization of people with mental disabilities. That's right, we were sterilizing people that had mental challenges, and the Supreme Court upheld it. And thankfully, we've recognized that was terrible. We should never do that to a vulnerable population. We should never sterilize individuals like that. But the courts got it wrong, and even the medical community got it wrong then. But we've corrected, we've learned from our mistakes, and I hope we do the same thing here, that rather than repeating the stakes of Europe, rather than repeating even some of our own historical mistakes where we've sterilized and damaged a vulnerable population, we ought to look at the kids with gender dysphoria and recognize there are better options, there are better solutions than these drugs and hormones, and not follow in those horrible footsteps from our past. So again, we're early on in the process. These cases are still being appealed. And I think ultimately the courts are going to recognize that states have a vital interest in protecting the health and safety of vulnerable children in their state. And that's what Texas and these 19 other states are doing when they enact these meaningful, important laws to simply regulate the medical profession and say, we don't want kids being put on these dangerous drugs and hormones. Once they reach adulthood, they can make decisions for themselves, but our vulnerable children, we have a duty to protect. Well, you know, we were talking about 303 Creative, and after that decision came down, uh, you guys came under attack in, in some very real ways, and uh, you also, uh, there were some stories that came out talking about how some people involved in the case might not necessarily have been uh, on the case or or, or been real, um, but all of this, I think the the Supreme Court has has clearly set down a precedent, and all of this is is just a tax upon you guys. T tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, we we saw immediately after there was this article in. Uh, the, I think it was the New Atlantic or uh, some other magazine saying that the, the case was fabricated. Um, and that's simply not true. Lori received a request from an individual seeking her website design services, services uh, for a same-sex wedding. Now, she didn't respond to it. She didn't do anything because she knew, like she saw with Jack Phillips, that every time one of those requests comes in, that's a potential new lawsuit that she could be dragged into, that she could be prosecuted under this Colorado public accommodation SOGI law. But I think more importantly, very early on, Colorado was very clear. Yes, it believes Lori is subject to this law. It believes that it could force Lori to create speech and expression that violates her beliefs. And that's ultimately what was at the heart of this case of Colorado taking the position that it can force anyone in the state to speak a message to support something that they disagree with. And that was at the core of the Supreme Court's decision. 
uh, where the court said, look, Colorado has agreed and has stipulated that what Lori does is speech and that her design services are subject to this law. And when the court agreed to those stipulations, recognized those stipulations, that's all it needed to say, but Colorado can't do that. It can't force Lori to speak a message she disagrees with. It can't trample Lori's or any other Colorado First Amendment rights. So I think all of this controversy is something made up by those who don't like the Supreme Court's very principled, very clear decision and are trying to undermine the legitimacy of this important ruling for every American that ensures all of us have our free speech rights protected against these public accommodation laws. Well, ultimately, it seems like the more successful you are, the more pushback you receive. And yeah. you guys have certainly been very successful in this and have done some great work for victory for all Americans. So uh, we're very grateful for you as an organization. Uh, Matt, thank you for joining us. Is there anything else that you'd like to add for our listeners before we let you go? No, I just, again, want to appreciate you guys at Texas Values for uh, being great friends and partners over the years um, on the litigation side, on the legislative side. And we're just excited to see what's ahead, you know, as we're taking these steps to protect kids, to protect speech, life, marriage, and family. Um, there's so many great opportunities for us moving forward. And we're just excited to see what is possible when average Americans speak up and say, we're tired of this gender ideology. We're tired of this anti-life culture. We want to protect our children. We want to protect women and their babies. We want to protect our constitutional freedoms. Matt, thank you for joining us. Pleasure as always. Thanks, Jonathan. We're just talking with Senior Counsel for Alliance Defending Freedom, Matt Sharp, about some very hot button new topics, including the nationwide talked about 303 Creative case. Uh, which this was about a graphic designer who refused to design same-sex wedding websites. Uh, and this is really important. I, I want to read, read to you a quote from a majority opinion. This is written by Justice Gorsuch in the 303 creative case. And it said, under Colorado's logic, the government may compel anyone who speaks for pay on a given topic to accept all commissions on that same topic, no matter the message. If the topic somehow implicates a customer's statutorily protected traits, taken seriously, that principle would allow the government to force all manner of artists, speechwriters, and others whose services involve speech to speak what they do not believe on pain of penalty. The court's precedents recognize the First Amendment tolerates none of that. Words matter. So does their meaning. Consider the word literally. No, literally consider it. Sometimes people use it in reference to something which is meaning actually free or actual, free of elaboration. Other times they use it figuratively, full of exaggeration. It was literally out of this world, could describe Neil Armstrong's trip to the moon. Or it could describe a Taylor Swift concert, literally out of this world. Language enthusiasts debate whether the word literally should have one meaning or both meanings, but ultimately individuals decide how to use words and how to best express themselves, either literally or figuratively. What if the government compelled you to say the word literally using only the government's preferred meaning? Worse, what if the government punished you if you didn't comply? Clearly, that would be wrong. Don't you have a right to your own speech? Yes, you do. And the U.S. Supreme Court just reaffirmed this freedom of speech principle that we, not the government, get to choose 
what to say, how to say it, and what not to say. And on reaching that conclusion, as Matt was talking about, the court made three points crystal clear. First, Lori Smith, the plaintiff in the case, uh, said that she would serve anyone, including those who identify as LGBT. Second, her custom websites were protected by the First Amendment. And third, the court followed precedent, dating all the way back to the 1940s, to reaffirm that the government has no valid interest in compelling speech. Unfortunately, some have claimed that this decision is going to literally cause the sky to fall. But in reality, this decision encourages human flourishing and encourages a healthy society. It allows people to pursue truth. And it secures our liberty to speak in sync with our beliefs without being afraid that the government will misuse the law to exclude our views from the public square. In short, the Supreme Court upheld the bedrock principle central to our democracy that the government doesn't get to decide which ideas people are allowed to express. So 303 Creative is a free speech win-win-win. And that's a win literally for all Americans, no exaggeration. Well, we're coming to the end of our show, but don't forget that we, uh, we've we been having events all over Texas, and we may be coming to an area near you. Uh, tonight, we're going to be in Llano, Texas at the American Legion Building. Also, keep in mind our policy forum. It's going to be at Great Hills Baptist Church, September 15th and 16th of this year. We want to thank our faithful listeners and supporters and say that if you find value in the work that we're doing, you can make a donation by going to txvalues.org. And as always, if you want more information on any of the work that we do, you can find us on the internet, on the web. You can make a tax-deductible donation so that we can continue to do what we do for faith, family, and freedom. Remember, government belongs to those who show up. And here at Texas Values, we're dedicated to being your voice in the government, your boots on the ground for conservative issues, and your leading group in Texas for faith, family, and freedom. We want to thank you for joining us, and we'll see you again next week right here on the Texas Values Report.